Page uh, 203, 203. My trials the earth will see someday, someday, and I will have an ending peace someday, someday. Draw me nearer, 
page And if you need to, come get you one of these and put your missionary offering in tonight.
that up there. That's me when I was little. <laughs> oh, these guys, they mess with me, amen. Amen. Good to see all of you tonight. We appreciate all of you being here. Uh, one announcement that I need to make, um, the Happy Pilgrim's Pancake Breakfast will be this Saturday in the Fellowship Hall at 9 a.m., all of you, a member of the uh, Happy Pilgrims, meet us down here. Brother Derek Howard is going to be bringing the message for us that morning. So you come expecting a blessing from the Lord and plenty of food. Amen. Uh, as far as our, our food basket, let me just mention this to you. This coming Monday, between the hours of 10 and 2, we're going to be giving the food baskets away down here at the church. And we're getting everything put together. and. And this week, we're going to get all that we lack, and we're uh, praying that we can give away 100 uh, full food boxes, everything they'll need to have a full Thanksgiving meal. If you know of anyone that needs something like that, uh, either come get it and carry it to them, or either tell them to come and get it this coming Monday. Uh, we want to be a blessing to as many. We got it being... Uh, aired on the radio station here, our local radio station. And uh, so you be in much prayer about that, that it'll, that the Lord will use it in a special way to reach many people with that. Um, our prayer list tonight, we've got a lot already on there. And uh, I did want to mention Julie Myers at the top of the list. Uh, she's the one that moved back to Kansas. And uh, she's had a biopsy and they're waiting on the test results of that with her cancer but we need to pray for julie myers uh we need to pray for dawn witt sherry seabolt helen jackson betty brown linda walker debbie's sister having some issues hayden and brad weaver and uh how about your prayer request tonight any anybody on your heart we do have a praise her mother is in remission with her cancer. Yes. Amen. Brother. Anything else? Mr. Diane. Having some issues. Anybody else tonight? Who's that? Amber who? And Sue Williams, Miss Sue's having a heart cath Monday, so be much in prayer for her, that God would be with her. Anything else tonight?
Oh, good, good. Anything else? Anything else on anyone's heart tonight? Mm-hmm. Dr. Annis, let's keep him on there. Not doing well at all. Anything else tonight? All right. Let's come and let's pray. Let's gather around these altars and pray for these requests tonight that God would meet every need that was on this list. Y'all come. Let's take our study sheets tonight. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter number four, and then go into chapter five a little bit, and uh, going to look at an interesting occurrence in the in the early church. Something that happened that uh, just devastated a lot of people, and we're going to look at that tonight and study from it and uh, learn some things from this text tonight. I want to go to the Lord in prayer. I appreciate all of you being here tonight. And have I told y'all lately that I love you? I do. I love y'all with all my heart. Wasn't that supper good tonight? Oh, my word. Sister Sue, y'all outdid yourselves. It was just a way over the top. Spaghetti, salad. I'm making some of y'all hungry right now. Amen. It was wonderful. And we appreciate y'all's labor and love that y'all do all that for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at our study sheets together. Heavenly Father, tonight, Lord, we do appreciate you being so gracious and kind to us all. 
Lord, you've been mighty, mighty favorable to this church, and we're thankful for everything that you've done in the hearts and lives of people. All of these names that we've called out before the throne of, of your grace, Lord, we know, that, we know that they're in good hands when we pray to you. You know the need and nature of every name that's been called out. And Lord, it's sure as comforting to know that our God is uh, very active and that you care for our lives. Now, Lord, you add your favor to the study of the Word of God tonight. And please open our hearts to the Scriptures in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's look at our study sheets together tonight. This is our 13th lesson out of the book of Acts, and we're going to learn, like I say, something astounding tonight. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and abounding with the blessings of the Lord. Many have already joined ranks with the local assembly at Jerusalem, and it has upset the established religion of the Jews. Peter and John have already spent a night locked up in a cell and then questioned before the Jewish leaders. The high priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the elders in Jerusalem are having regular meetings in an effort to stop the progress of this entity called the church. At their first confrontation with the disciples of Jesus, they command them to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. If their command is observed, their message would quickly dissolve, for without Jesus, there is no message. Jesus Christ is the message of the resurrection. Without this truth to proclaim, Christianity would be nothing more than any other religion. But the message of Jesus Christ does not promote a religion. Its content proclaims that Jesus died for the sins of the world, was buried and rose from the dead. It is the hope of sinners who desire Savior. It is the message of salvation to all who will believe. All religions are wrapped up in man's efforts to work their way to heaven without God's contribution. The only thing God needs to do is accept their vain efforts. Christianity, on the other hand, is totally opposite in that it tells the story of how God has already done everything for man to be saved without man's contribution. All any man needs to do is believe, repent, and receive. Why would anyone believe they could do any works that would so impress God that he would allow them entrance into heaven? That is an issue of sinful pride on man's part. After someone hears and learns of the amazing love Jesus expressed for us on Calvary, why would anyone be impressed with any works of man? And after Jesus died for us, he arose from the dead, offering salvation freely to anyone who will believe. To compare what religion offers man and what Jesus offers to man is to weigh out two offers on opposite ends of the spectrum. That is why the Jewish leaders are so upset. Their vain efforts are being compared to the victorious efforts of Jesus Christ. Religion's message is due. Jesus' message is done. Once the early Christians were threatened and commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, they prayed that God would grant them boldness to continue preaching 
the name of Jesus Christ. That should be the heart of the church and of every Christian today. Why should not, we should not hide our faith under a bushel, but rather boldly proclaim Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That was the spirit of the early believers toward the world. Now we will learn of their spirit toward each other. The first thing we want to consider in the remainder of chapter 4, beginning verse 32, is the distribution of possessions. We read these words. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. <coughs> Excuse me. And Joseph, who is by the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember that the times of the early church were hard. Rome was in power and demanded heavy taxation upon the Jewish people. Anyone who worked for the tax-collecting agency was viewed as an enemy similar to attitudes toward the IRS of our day. Also, Roman citizens were considered to be a grade above all others. They saw themselves as superior to anyone who was not of Roman descent. Working for the government of Rome would escalate someone to a higher degree of notice. The Roman soldiers could demand any Jewish person to carry their supply packs if they wanted them to. And the Jews would have to comply. It was a Roman law that any soldier could demand a Jew to carry their wares for one mile. No matter what the Jewish person might be involved in or en route to do, if a soldier wanted his assistance the Jew would need to stop everything and immediately comply. Jesus taught a short lesson concerning this practice to his followers. In Matthew 5, 41, we read these words of Jesus. He said, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Everyone living in that day understood the implication and application of this teaching. For a Jewish person to carry the heavy burden of a Roman soldier one mile and then willingly offered to carry the same for a second mile would be unheard of. The Roman soldier was an enemy and Jesus taught the sacrificial giving of his people to their enemies. Yet that is the attitude Jesus taught his followers. We read this in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Jesus said this, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus taught his people how to give 
with a willing attitude. He started with the most extreme situation and taught them how to willingly give and respond to their enemies. If someone could learn that lesson, surely they would have no problem giving to their own people. Now, this giving principle is reflected within the body of the early church. There is so much persecution among them that it has solidly united them rather than divide them. This multitude of believers was given a heart that comes through the new birth. They were of one heart and one soul. The Lord had told the Jewish people that this would be a reality in their lives one day. He said in Ezekiel 36, 26, he said, A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. The old way of doing things is over for these believers and now they have a unified heart toward each other. They realize that some among them are less fortunate than themselves and they want to help the situation. Some who own lands and houses sold their possessions and began bringing the money from the sale to the disciples. They freely gave this money for the purpose of helping those who were in need. Jesus also taught this principle to his followers. In Mark 14, 7, Jesus said this, For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. <clears throat> this was to be freely and willingly done for the benefit of someone. There was no command demanding someone to give for this purpose. Rather, it was to be done from a willing and cheerful heart. Jesus, or the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Later in the church at Jerusalem, things changed with their attitude toward giving to the poor. James, the first pastor of the Jerusalem church, wrote these words in James 2, 5 through 8. He said, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. At the beginning of the church, they want to give willingly and openly. Joseph had a piece of property and sold his land. They gave the, he gave the full amount of this sale to the Lord as he laid the money at the feet of the apostles. Without keeping back any of the proceeds, he gives it all. This was such an act of giving for the benefit of others the apostle surnamed him Barnabas, which means son of consolation. He was also a Levite, which placed him in the upper ranks of the Jewish religion. He was a Levitical priest, and he was from Cyprus. Cyprus was an island, and Barnabas could have owned some coastal land, making the land more valuable. Whatever the property sold for, Barnabas brought the entire price 
and gave it all to the apostles. The second thing we want to consider from our text tonight is the deceit of pretenders. Verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, we read these words. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these. I bet it did. How would you like to be in a church service and somebody came up and put some money in the offering plate? And I looked at him and said, why are you lying to the Holy Ghost? And them drop dead. That's what's going on in this text. And Ananias hearing these words fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. No doubt, what Barnabas had done quickly spread among the church body. And people were bragging on him and complimenting him. His notoriety quickly spread among the people and others would follow his example. Whenever someone does something unusual, it prompts others to do the same, whether it be good or bad. Example is a powerful thing. That is why we should be careful of the examples we set before others. Our influence upon others is more active than we realize. What Barnabas had done has been noticed by others. Sadly, the notice has reached the scheming and subtle hearts of a certain man and his wife. They also own a piece of property and decide to sell it and, and bring the money to the disciples. They think that if they do this, people will begin talking about them. They're going to be talked about, but it is not what they imagine in their hearts. The situation before us in this text is often misunderstood. At the outset, it looks like Ananias, Sapphira's wife, do the same thing that others, especially Barnabas, had done. They sell some property and Ananias brings the money to the disciples. Instead of hearing Peter and the other disciples congratulate and commend him, Peter asked him, 
Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Peter points out that the property belonged to Ananias and he could do anything he wanted to with it. He did not need, he did not need to do this. He goes on to state that Ananias could have done anything with the money he wanted to. He could have kept it all. That would have been perfectly fine and no one would think any less of him for doing so. He could have brought just a portion of the proceeds and kept back part of it for himself and his wife. This is exactly what he did. But Ananias lied about the money and told Peter that the amount before him was everything that he had gotten from the sale of his property. He was a spiritual pretender. He wanted Peter and the rest of the people to believe that he had given it all. Without any reserve, Ananias wanted other people to think that he was just as giving as Barnabas or anyone else was. He lied in an effort to look spiritually great in the eyes of others. This early body of believers was facing opposition from without by the religious crowd. Now they were facing corruption from within from these pretenders. Ananias was lying. He had allowed Satan to fill his heart with pride and scheme to exalt himself. But rather, he was quickly demoted to shame and a death that would be used as an example to anyone else desiring to be known as some spiritual giant. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 verse 18, Pride goeth before destruction, the Holy Spirit before fall. There it was. Out in the open, Ananias was a pretender. He had secretly kept back some of the gains for himself, but he wanted others to think he had given it all. There were three who knew the truth in the beginning, Ananias, Sapphira, and the one who bought the property. But Ananias would quickly learn a great truth. God knew. And God would not be mocked, nor would he allow this sin to influence and corrupt others. The church was abounding with blessings. And it is all because of what God is doing in their hearts. Now a different heart is being manifested and it must be stopped. Satan always wants to be a part of what God is doing. Whether it be in the home or the church, he wants to be a part. He envies what God's people have in Christ and he constantly tries to corrupt what God is blessing. How many times God's blessings are upon a family and the enemy finds a way into the situation and ruins the home. And the same thing happens in churches. A local assembly of people will be enjoying God's blessings and then one heart can turn the spigot off and things begin to unravel. It happened in the days of Joshua with the sin of Achan. The people of God had just won a monumental victory at Jericho. God was definitely with them. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. We read these words in Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. It came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. 
so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Then verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. What happened at Jericho that day was heard across the land. Someone else was listening, the enemy. All of this happens in chapter 6 of the book of Joshua. <clears throat> the next chapter yields a very different picture. The same army of God went to take the city of Ai, but this time they were defeated. We read about this in Joshua 7 verses 4 through 6. So they went up thither of the people about 3,000 men. This is the men of Israel. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men. For they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. Why was this sudden turn from victory to victim? The answer is this, one person let Satan influence his heart to commit sin and it affected all the people of God. We read these words in Joshua 7, 10, and 11. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Joshua was down prostrate on the ground praying before God and said, God said, Joshua didn't time to be praying. There's sin in the camp. Get up. Something needs to be done. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned. Then we read these words. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession unto him. And tell me now, what hast thou done? Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. You know what we're learning from this, from this passage? That we're not an island to ourselves. What we do affects everybody. When we're a part of God's church, if we sin, it affects the entire body of people. One man brought the whole nation of Israel to a standstill. The blessing stopped until the issue was dealt with. We read this in verse 25 and 26 of Joshua 7. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us, speaking to Achan? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. After they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. God dealt with the sin of one person in the old days. And now in the New Testament church, God is still God. Ananias is dead and the memory of what just happened will affect the church for a long time. About three hours later, Sapphira the wife of Ananias comes before Peter and she does not know what has just happened. 
Peter questions her and asks her if the lamb was sold for so much money. She affirms the selling price and reveals her heart of pretense also. She and her husband had agreed together to lie about the money and pretend they were giving everything for the benefit of others. There would have been nothing wrong with keeping part of the money for themselves. After all, it was theirs and they could do what they wanted with it. They could have kept it all and they would have stayed alive to enjoy their earnings. But their sin was found in warning others to think they were spiritual giants through deceit. Sapphire hears Peter tell her the awful news that her husband is dead. And now she follows the same fateful end of Ananias and her body is buried by his out in the graveyard. Such a sad ending to a life so promising. Heaven was weeping and hell was laughing. They could have had it all, but they ended with nothing. The text before us is one that should remind us and warn us of the dangers of sin. Even though we may think it to be harmless, God's ways are not our ways and He will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We often think of this verse only in the negative sense, that, that of sinful ways. But the verse goes on to tell us that we have a choice, a choice of doing right or doing wrong. Galatians 6, 8 goes on to say, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. No matter the choice, God knows all. And He rewards either way. We reap what we sow. John Phillips gives an interesting summation of this text. He said this in his, his Exploring Acts, Volume 1 book. He said, The sentence was death with no time for repentance. The story of Ananias and Sapphira was over. The church had purged itself of sin. The measures it took were drastic but effective. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The infant church rid itself of that leaven the moment it was introduced into the loaf. But it would be insinuated back in again before the church had grown much older. For now, however, it was clean. The Holy Spirit had acted in judgment. He could now act again in blessing. Wow. What a story of the early church and how God dealt with sin. And the, and the amazing thing about all of that is God is still God. He's not changed one iota. And we need to, we need to realize the seriousness of sin in any of our lives. No matter, no matter, I've heard people say, well, it's my life. I can do what I want to with it. Yes, you can. The choice is anybody's. But the, the, what we do with our lives, it will affect others. How many people down through life, they've done something very sinful and it affected everybody around them in their family. It affected everybody around them and their friends in the workplace. Why? Because one person decided, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin is no laughing matter with God. Can I get an amen right there? God is still God. 
and sin is still sin. Amen. We'll find out next week when we carry on with the study. People, people backed off from joining the church at Jerusalem for a while. They saw what happened. They said, whoa, this is serious stuff. And you know, we've gotten so lax today in church membership, church joining a church and things like that. Being a part of a local assembly is very serious stuff. God does not, God leads people different ways. And when people joins a church, it is is for God's purpose, God's reasoning. God's got a reason behind them being there. And we need to realize the importance of being a church member. Amen and amen to that. Amen. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll we'll dismiss so the young'uns can come in tonight. Brother Lee.